Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, young girls were being kidnapped all over Belgium. The nation demanded accountability for the criminal and the authorities who could have stopped him. We'll review the podcast, Le Monstre, The Dutru Affair. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, what is coming up on our next podcast? On Monday's show, we're going to be talking about the new season of Chameleon. It's called Scam Likely. All right, I'm circling that so I know what to listen to. I have a question for you before we start our review. Yeah. And it's related to the podcast, but not quite. Have you ever done a um, Best Fiends ad as creepily as it's done in the podcast? I was going to ask you about that when we started. I was going to like. Have you considered that the podcast we're about to review make you reconsider the way that you're going to be delivering your Best Fiends ads from now on? No. Okay. No, no. (laughs) It is a mystery why people haven't downloaded the free. Game. Can, can you help me with something? Can you help yeah. me with the mystery? Best Fiend stopped uh, supporting uh, These Are Their Stories uh, oh, no. a while ago. I think it was because they thought uh, it's not a children's game. Uh-huh. And so I always did the ads with my daughter, uh-huh. my 21-year-old daughter. Yeah, but we did, yeah. they also used to be on this show. They did a couple of things for this show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe if we made hey, the ads think... creepier, they would come oh, back. Oh, maybe they'll come back? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I keep playing Best Fiends, but you know. I, I just, you know, you know what, I think before we do a review, just so listeners know what we're talking about, maybe we should just like pop a little tape of the Best Fiends ad and that we're talking about. So on the podcast we're about to review, Le Monstre, uh, the host, has this incredibly sonorous voice, Matt Graves, and like there is this like almost no interruption between the podcast and the ads. Like it's very like, you know, I have to say they're well placed and well done. Like the mm. digitally inserted ones, obviously you can tell because it's like for NBC or whatever. But like he'll be talking in the sonorous voice about this Belgian crime, and then he's like, "Can you help me solve a mystery?" You want me to play the uh, the best fiends? Let's ad? go ahead and drop right. a little piece of that. Believe it or not, there's a chance that someone, maybe even someone you know, still hasn't downloaded Best Fiends on their phone. 
The mystery is, why not? Kevin, you people say that you do some of the best ads in podcasting. I think you've got a competitor. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> I can only do mine in English, though. <laughs> All right. I you think... married for brains. <laughs> well, should we just go ahead and just review the podcast? Yeah. Now they've gotten the review of the ad. Yeah, over yeah, with. yeah. All right. Let's drop that first clip right now. Over 25 years ago, our story began. A story of abomination, incompetence, and conspiracy that led to the demise of the entire institution of Belgian federal police and rattled the foundations of its government. In 1995, a pair of eight-year-olds were kidnapped from the Belgian countryside. Later, two teens vanished after leaving a magic show. Then, another set of teens disappeared. Hysteria gripped the country while the police response seemed not up to the task. It's so dear. They are they have no training, they are not interested, they don't give a shit. Excuse me the expression if your child is gone. After questioning, Mark DeTrue would take investigators to his home where they discovered two of the girls being held in a dungeon. The bodies of his other victims and one of his accomplices were later discovered. Dutroux's arrest set in motion a controversy over police errors, government ineptitude, and accusations of cover-ups. Public outrage at the catalogue of atrocities attributed to this man has escalated into nationwide anger at the system which allowed Dutroux and his accomplices to operate, unchecked and at will, for years. Belgian justice is on trial. In Le Monstre, the Dutroux Affair from iHeartMedia and Tenderfoot TV, host Matt Graves looks into the crimes of Belgium's deadliest serial killer. It also explores the country's institutional failures to protect children and the massive protest movement demanding reforms. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Le Monstre, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. And an editorial note, because Toby's podcast work overlaps with some of the people who worked on this podcast. Toby, you're going to be discussing the podcast, but not giving a thumbs up or thumbs down review, correct? Yes. Okay. And one more note, the opinions of everybody in this review do not (laughs) reflect those of Partners in Crime Media, Kevin Flynn, Rebecca Lavoie, or Lara Bricker. Do we all agree? No, I'm just kidding. All right. I, I will say, though, at the beginning. You've been really focused on everything outside of this podcast so far. I, I found the formatics of this podcast interesting, Kevin. I know we're going to talk about the content, but I have never heard that on like a podcast from Tenderfoot or anything before where it's like really separating the author of the podcast from the production company in that way. I'll just say the only thing that made me think about it was the language. Did it not say the opinions? Yes. As opposed to. You know, I don't know what the legal rationale for calling the the reporting opinions. Exactly. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, or their employees. This is where I I think that this is going to come up. We're listening to the first half of the season. We know that in real life, what ends up happening in this case is that there ends up being controversy over what the police could have done, what they did do, what the, the there's all things of the, about 20 different witnesses to the case all died within a couple of years, some of them under really mysterious circumstances. There is a lot of conspiracy theories mm. around 
this case. And I'm sure some people may voice that. Hmm. You know, also, you know, the opinion about like whether hypnotism is cool or not, I think. Is I don't also- think, I mean, that was just, it was what it was. I mean, to me, it just made me wonder like, is this story just like some reporting and they're just like, we are going to use this reporting, but like also this is, you didn't report this for us. You reported this and you know what I mean? This is going to be part of our catalog, but yeah, like, I think it'd, it'll probably be clear later on, Okay, but no, I mean, if anything, the disclaimer is uncommon and the language is the use of the term opinion is, yes. is a little peculiar. Yes. And the use of the word author of the podcast is also peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was very interesting. I just had never heard it before. So it stuck out to me every single time I heard it. Okay. All right. Laura. So Matt Graves, what do you think of Matt Graves as a host presence besides his sonorous voice and his uh, delivery of his sonorous best fiends ads? Yeah. So I'm going to step back from that. So I think that we've established when you, you know, he has a good connection to why he's telling the story. He moved there to Belgium in the summer of 1995 at the time that the first two girls disappeared. He remembers like the fear and the chaos and sort of the the feeling that was out in the public that summer when he was there, when this was you know, just sort of getting attention as this La Monstra or whatever it is, was uh, beginning his reign of terror. And, you know, I think we've established, you know, who he is. I guess I would like to know a little more like, is he a journalist? I'm not really sure. Is he someone that's interested in the case? Perhaps I missed that part. But the fact that he was there, um, he's from Texas, he moved to Belgium, and he happened to be there when this case began, definitely sets him up as somebody, and he's still living there as somebody that has sort of like an institutional memory of what it was like to be alive in that area during that time. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about this case, Toby, is just more like the atmosphere of like law enforcement and what they were doing in Belgium at the time around cases like this. At one point, we hear that like, if you're a shitty cop, you're going to be assigned to like the missing kids division because like they didn't do anything. And at one point, I think one of the sources says like what Belgium was a paradise for perverts. Yeah. Uh, which does not seem like a ringing endorsement. I think maybe there's the opinion that we're <laughs> yeah, talking about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Tenderfoot is not it responsible that for that, that opinion. It was, a, it was a source. That yeah, said yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. I mean, so to, to me, it's, it's sort of like that this was a, you know, kind of a just a place where just these crimes were happening and they didn't seem to really garner much law enforcement interest. Like that is the sort of backdrop here, right? That's what makes this, I think, more interesting than your average you know, missing girl case. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of, um, and I guess this was the one that Kevin and I did with Sarah D. Bunting, but uh, what's her name? Maddie? Maddie McCain. Yeah, Maddie McCann. McCann, excuse Yeah, me. yeah. So it reminded me a little bit of that case where, you know, things aren't resolved quickly and then the police come under question and that becomes part of the narrative too. It does seem odd, right? That you would stick your supposedly stick your worst cops or your cops are in the doghouse on the missing child scene. Um, it makes you wonder what, what do you send your best cops to do? Right. Right. The example they give is they never talked to the dads to see what they yeah. were doing at the time mm-hmm. of the crimes and never even talked to the, and it was like one of the dads that said, they never even talked to the dad to see what we were doing at the time of the crimes. And that's bad when the dads are like, I should have been a suspect yeah. and they didn't even talk to me. So, Kevin, what do you think of, of just sort of the setup of this? Because Matt Graves himself, you know, he has it. He's not parachuting in. Right. No, you're right. I mean, Laura discovered this, that uh, that he was, you know, present 
in Belgium when this was happening. So yeah, he ha- he does bring that perspective to the reporting. And I think the reporting's pretty solid here. He talks to a lot of great people. One of them happens to be this uh, female detective profiler and private investigator we hear in the first episode <laughs> who thinks all the all the cops got their head up their ass. It's just, she's, she's amazing. I love it. You have to look for somebody who has been in prison for abduction, torture, and sequestration. And this policeman told me, Listen, Miss Hitzebald, we are not in the United States here, you know. Then I said, okay, I'm going. So I wanted to leave. I've had it with these people. I loved her when she was like talking about the P and she's like, oh, they say that. Like, uh, even That's about Belgian the- Brickers, who she is. Oh, my <laughs> Belgian Bricker. Belgian Bricker, though, when she was talking about the even some of the defendants and she was just like, ah, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be like a therapist? But I guess she's like the, you know, anyway, she is. I, yeah, I enjoyed her. Yourself. <laughs> Was she, was she the same woman who was describing how psychopaths are made in that very strange so. passage where she was like, psychopaths are made two ways. Yeah. Now, this part I did not care for. It was like the perfect psychopath was the name mm. of the episode. Psychopaths are made two ways. They're either made through extreme abuse or extreme overprotection. And then she was like, and this guy, his father was clearly very violent. And then his mother was. And then Matt goes, so are you saying this psychopath could have been made? both ways <laughs> and she's like i suppose so it was just it was just seemed very maybe that's the opinion part i don't know it just seemed it definitely seemed a little bit overbaked like the the psychoanalysis just it just feels like 1970s or something it's like he wouldn't have been a psycho if it wasn't for his overprotective mom you know <laughs> and there's also like this weird like a psychopath is like a definable thing and you either are or you aren't. And there's at one point where they're talking about Dutroux's girlfriend, who's like maybe filming this stuff. And he's like, is she a psychopath? And the person's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's a psychopath. <laughs> it was possible for him to do that because he had found literally, but also in a figure of speech, a partner in crime. Right. Do you think she was a psychopath? Absolutely. I'm personally convinced that she is. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, it's far more likely she's also like a victim of his in some way. And it's kind of long for this horrible ride. Um, Kevin, what do you think about the hypnotism scene? Because there's one point at which, so two of the victims go to a hypnosis show. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that they are under the influence of this, one of these like stage hypnotists. And when they leave the show and that sort of leads to their being able to be abducted. Yeah. Well, I thought it was very interesting scene where they talk about like on, on video where it seems one of them seems to be still somewhat in the hypnotic state where she's what she's doing with her hands. Um, you know, so I can just imagine like her walking out and, and maybe bumping into somebody, although it's not clear if that actually was a contributing factor in her abduction. So it's probably an unnecessary tangent and it did go on perhaps longer than it needed to. But I kind of enjoyed it. Hmm. So, Laura, but in the aggregate, these crimes are pretty freaking awful. I mean, we're talking yeah. about like it reminded me a little bit of like the Abigail Hernandez case here in New Hampshire. You know, that guy uh, yeah. who kidnapped that teenage girl and kept her in the storage container for nine months. And I mean, this is horrific. I mean, this is a guy who kidnapped and murdered children, basically planned it and had accomplices. This is a freaking awful series of crimes. Very dark. It's it's very dark, and it reminds me of some of the, like, darker, like, noir sort of 
crime drama shows that I watched during the early COVID times where I would be like, ooh, and they were fictional because they were so horrific. The fact that this is actually, you know, something that happened, it's super dark. Although there was one point where the writing, I was like, they were talking about one of the girls that was like locked in the basement and they're like, she was in a very dark place. I'm like, yeah, no shit. She's in a basement. She's in a very dark place, a basement. But these these are terrifying. And I think that the window that we got into, for me, probably one of the more disturbing parts of this whole thing was when we have the letters from one of the girls that was being held, Sabine, Mm -hmm. who was being held captive. And like he was telling her to write letters to her parents. I'm so, so sad. I can't wish you a happy birthday and give you a big kiss and maybe even offer you a present. Unfortunately, that's not possible. And if I came home, we'd all be killed. And I don't want that. I'd rather write you from here instead of being at home dead. Number one, I'm not sure how I felt about having like this young girl read the letters because it sounded staged times 10. But second of all, it was just fucking creepy. But the fact that she's basically in this dungeon behind a trap door and she's reporting all these things about what's happening and how she's, you know, trying to do this so that she can get out and everything. And but then the part she's like, this was the part that I even though it's horrific, I'm like, seriously, what kind of freaking details are this? He's giving me expired food and he tells me the expiration date is the cell date. And he's giving me generic food while he's drinking real Coke and real Nutella. And he gave the me chocolate. Nutella, yeah. yeah, the real Nutella. And he gave me chocolate from 1993. I was like, okay, that was not to like digress from the horror of the crimes, but that particular scene, I was just like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah, I may have edited the letter a little bit and just like kept it to the salient details. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Tienes mucho en tus manos, pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo, esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. All right, so Kevin, here we are in the business section. Another business section for everybody. That's right. What do we got going on in our Patreon, Kevin? Well, right now on our Patreon, you can listen to the Crime Writers on After Show. Ooh. You can listen to Leave It to Bricker. And we have a new episode of Married with Podcasts coming out. We do. Now we have more than, we broke the, the number here, we have more than 300 exclusive podcast episodes. Wow. In our Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Coming up soon on uh, the Patreon is the next episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. The book is called Tall Man. Yes. 
It's a nonfiction true crime book. And Toby, who are your guests? My guests this month are uh, Elon Green, who wrote Last Call, mm-hmm. Maggie Rar from uh, Carrie Lowe Versus, and our very own Rebecca Lavoie. Yes. And Rebecca Lavoie. Yes. yes. So two out of three good guests ain't bad, right? Yes. I, I got to get on uh, finishing that book. I'm bringing it on a plane soon. I'm yeah. finishing that book. Me too. And so you hear us talking about Patreon all the time. It's great stuff. Don't want to forget the after show gets in there as well. If you haven't tried it yet, again, later this month, we're going to be doing the Patreon free preview week. Yay! where Selected shows will be available for the whole public for one week and you can try it out. And then if you like, join us uh, for good on Patreon. You're really selective though, right? You only put the good ones out? They're all good ones, Rebecca. <laughs> You don't put like the the married with podcast where we give we give bad advice, <laughs> or like everybody got divorced afterwards, or like or like the yeah. deep, or like the deep dive when like the technology didn't work and like this connection was really bad. Oh, That's I, every deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> we do quite a bit of cleaning up of the deep dive uh, to oh. make it uh, suitable. Or like the leave a bricka where Lara fell in a hole and broke her ankle. Lara. <laughs> I have to do quite a bit of work on uh, Leave It to Bricker, too, because uh, this is how it is. It'd be like, Laura will say something, and the guest will say It's like, Laura, oh, my God, what did you think of that? Oh, uh, well, it was pretty good, Laura. What do you think? And so that's like the whole show. That's the tape I get. It makes uh, it more mysterious. It does make it more mysterious. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Can you just make a quick newsletter plug before we wrap the business section up? Because oh, I yeah, like that. Sure. Yeah, we'd really love for you to sign up for our free newsletter. Go to crimewriterson.com. Just throw in your email address at the top. Every week you get a newsletter that has Crime Writers On behind the scenes. We have recaps of our reviews. You get to see the cat of the week. You get to see new merch tweet of the week. All sorts of great stuff. And it's completely free. That's right. And even Carol Baskin bought a t-shirt after seeing our <gasps> newsletter. That's true. Carol Baskin bought the... Uh, <laughs> The patented, I learned that in cat, cat detective, detective school. school. Yes. Tank. Yeah. Thanks, Carol. I love it. All That's right. Fan- she's going to wear it while she's biking, listening to Crime Writers On. That's oh, right. Oh, good. Good. So, Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Liz Pin and Sequoia McGinnis. Bless, Bless you. you. Liz Pinn and Sequoia McGinnis, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you, guys. And thanks for everyone who doesn't support us on Patreon for um, muscling through our business section. Kevin, are we done with that? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. All right, so, Toby, there's a tremendous amount of sound design. And, I mean, I will only describe it as background true crime drone in this podcast and I, I know the sound designer of this podcast and I will say, Hey, how are you? That being said, <laughs> there's a lot of it <laughs> and it's the kind that we typically, I'll, I'll just say, I don't care for. I just feel like it adds a sense of um, the case is dark enough and it adds a lot of layers of stuff to listen to beyond a story that is already really dark. I'm just curious to know what you think of such a heavily designed sound designed scape when we already have a story that involves dungeons and kidnappings and sexual assaults and grieving parents and hypnosis and psychopath and readings of translated paragraphs like what just what do you think of the soundscape generally i guess this is like a thing that's sort of like more just sort of not to my taste than Mm. it's anything that's particularly wrong you know i mean i i get that the idea is to create this sort of immersive experience 
so that while you're hearing this, you're also sort of feeling it as well. And I think, you know, as far as that part of it goes, you know, it sounds really good, right? It's just that it's not necessarily what I particularly want to hear. But again, I, I, I kind of feel like that's, it's hard for me to judge it. It's like, like, I don't like strawberry ice cream and it's not that strawberry yeah. ice cream sucks. It just, yeah. it's not to my taste as far as just sort of technically doing it. I mean, it's crisp. I, you know, when I was driving along, listening to it, you know, at times it would kind of sort of disappear. I think it's probably well done, but it's not something that I necessarily look forward to when I'm listening to mm. a podcast. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sort of has a, a sort of true crime-y. I mean, it's not like sword and scale obnoxious, but it has a sort of true crime-y sound. Laura Bricker, you like the theme song a lot. I did like the theme song <laughs> with the like, a psychopath, Belgium, paradise for perverts. I'm like, oh, I like this. I like the theme song. I didn't like the thing they did where they would have like people in the background that they lowered down, like talking in French while like somebody was like translating over it. I found it really, really hard to follow what I was supposed to be following because there was just too much noise in my ear at that time. I arrived around six o'clock by car with my son. When I got there, Mrs. Russo was on the lawn getting off her bike. She came straight over and explained she had let the girls take a stroll for 30 minutes, but she couldn't find them. That is hard to do well in audio. So in television, they do that and you see a person talking and they can either do it with, you know, subtitles or you can do it with translation. But since you see the person visually, you kind of know what to pay attention to. In audio, it has to be done with a perfect balance in order for it to be done well. The thing that I found distracting about that is that they had people with French, very usually people with French accents translating people speaking French. And I found myself like, I don't know, I wasn't it's not like the French accents, but the French accents were distracting over a person speaking French. And then the, the audio balance between the person speaking French and the person speaking in English with the accent, the, the balance wasn't great enough. Like, there, you know what I mean, Kevin? Like, the level wasn't low enough on the French speaker. You should have ducked it down more. Exactly. So, so it sounds... It's easier to listen to. Yeah. Exactly. So it just, it, it definitely was like, I was like, oh, great. Here's another. And they also had so many different actors doing the voiceover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some of them were just so over the top. Yeah. That was also distracting to me. Like I, I wanted less of the over the top drama because I wanted to take in what the story was yeah. at that point. I would have preferred to have like one man, you know, one woman, and that just had some consistency throughout, if that makes sense. I, I know there are plans to release this in French because they would like, people in Belgium to experience it as well. I wonder how the uh, the English translations will be going the other way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Matt speaks French. We know that. Mm -hmm. So it's, I bet I wonder if he's going to do the narration in French. I, I oh, actually yeah, that'd be great, yeah. I think that would be super interesting to hear like what it would sound like. And part of me thinks it might actually be a, a better listen in some ways if the whole thing were in French. Of course, I think there would be some Flemish parts, right? Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I, yeah. I think there do would you think be, he'll right? do that Best Fiends ad in French? Sacre bleu! Les petits buggers. All right, so Kevin, can you talk about the crime a little bit? I talked about it a little bit with Lara, but this is a creepy-ass story, right? Yeah, I mean... Is there anything more scary than an actual fucking dungeon? No. When you're kidnapped? No. Yeah, so I mean, think about this guy. 
his early crimes, like, this is really kind of weird. Like, the, the way that he would, like, knock women over while ice skating and then grope them while he's trying to help them back up. That's peculiar. It seems like a weird plan. I mean, I th- obviously, if someone gropes you in any situation, you have been assaulted. But that just seems like, like, aren't you going to fall down? Too? Like, that's all I could think of was, like, something silly happening. But obviously, it escalates into something much, much worse. It's very interesting that he always had or almost always used an accomplice. Yep. Because, you know, I don't know. I didn't go to Quantico. I don't know about profiling, but that just seems like whether or not it fits a profile to be a serial killer slash serial kidnapper slash serial pedophile that bringing along a partner Seems like a great way of not getting caught. Or more than one. Or more than one. Yeah. And one of them was was his wife, right? One of the yeah. the partners in crime was his wife and then like some guy that he met in a sex club. Or It's a peculiar story. And then it culminates in this house of horrors, which is, you know, I think another one of the reasons why this became such a sensational case. If you already have a nation wondering about where are these missing children And then to find out that, one, they've been alive and needed to be rescued all this time. You've been half-assing your search. And two, where they've been kept is not just like a regular, like a camper someplace. It's a fucking dungeon. A purpose-built dungeon. A purpose-built dungeon. I mean, that is just really scary. So obviously you can see why this this is a case, you know worth remembering yeah also to true laura was imprisoned for another crime mm-hmm. let out and was able to collect benefits you know which is fine i'm all about the social safety net mm-hmm. but get roofies yeah what the fuck he was then able to use to commit other crimes which is wild having problems sleeping doc can i have some chloroform he, yeah he got roofies and he got one other thing so rohypnol and i can't remember but they were both like you know anti sort of anxiety sleeping medications but he didn't just get roofies he got like the highest dose possible and they're like and here you go here's some money here's some roofies good luck in your adventures i'm like what the hell is going on over there <laughs> yeah it's it's just like <laughs> that was one of those details when it happened i was like wait a minute did i just hear that correctly Yep. Oh, wait, I did. Yep. <laughs> That's what happens when the radical left takes over, Laura. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Las acciones dicen más que las palabras. Abre el Pro Access Tailgate disponible de la nueva Ford F-150. Sí, una puerta oscilatoria de fácil acceso para convertir su cama en tu nuevo taller. Conecta tus herramientas al Pro Power Onboard disponible. Ya sea que necesites soldar o cortar madera, con la F-150 puedes. 
Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Pro-Access Tailgate disponible en la primavera de 2024. Okay, let's let our listeners know, should they check out Lamont's Trelaura Bricker? What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? I don't know. I'm going to go thumbs sideways on this because it was just not for me. I think there are people out there that might be particularly interested in this case. And if so, you know, this is a very good overview of the case. For me, there were, I was curious about the story, but there was too many distracting parts of the production for me in terms of just choices that were made with actors reading statements and things with the sound that I had to keep going back to sort of pick up what had happened that just for me sort of interrupted the listening experience. And, and it just, I don't know, it was, it was pretty fucking dark in ter- you know, in terms of like children being held in dungeons and murdered, um, which was just, I think probably for me, just not something I was in the mood for. So I think there's probably an audience for it. It wasn't me, but I can't say it was horrible. So I'm going to just go thumb sideways on this. And of course, we are skipping Toby Ball, as we discussed in our little editorial note. So Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Le Monstre? I'm with Laura. I'm going to go sideways. I can't give a a thumbs down when you do this much good journalism. And he did talk to an awful lot of people, brought a lot of good voices. My issue is probably sort of in the nature of the story. What we don't have here that we often have in serial killer stories is that we don't have an investigator, you know, the dogged investigator who's just going to like not sleep at night until he finds the killer. Now, this is actually what the problem of the real case was. Didn't seem like there was anybody with any real competence pushing this. And we don't really meet until we meet this prosecutor. And I think the third or fourth episode. But what that ends up being is we don't really have someone through whose eyes we can go along with. And, and follow this case from start to end. And it's a little dense. It's a little dense. It's a lot of, it reminds me a little bit of um, Who Killed Daphne very recently. So it's not bad. And I think it's okay for folks that want to get their, uh, their really gruesome stories on. But this just didn't have sort of a, that spark that made me want to keep listening every week. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go sideways. Okay, so... I think this podcast is for somebody. I don't think it's like horribly made. I think it's interesting to get an international story into a a high profile American feed. I like that aspect of it. I like that Matt Graves lived in Europe and did a European story. I actually find Matt Graves to be very intriguing. And I would actually love to hear some more of Matt Graves work. I think he does have an interesting voice and a unique perspective. Um, there are good things to say about this podcast in terms of how it's put together. That being said, because it's not for me, I can't give it a thumb sideways. I have to give it a thumbs down because I didn't personally like it. I don't personally enjoy this kind of story. I think it's dark. I don't know why I'm listening to it. If it is designed to tell a systemic story and, and be about a systemic issue, it's not getting there, except for people speculating about the fact that this thing is broken. It's not really examining a system. It's not really saying, here's why the system is broken. Here's how it broke. So I will say, I'll do with Laura Bricker, my favorite thing that Laura Bricker does. If you're the kind of person <laughs> who would like to go overseas <laughs> and get a look at a really interesting case that captured a nation in a very kind of sensational, stylized way, this is the podcast for you. 
it is not my cup of tea. And for that reason, I'm giving it a thumbs down. I thought you were going to say, if you're the type of person who wants to go overseas and go in a dungeon, (laughs) this is the podcast for you. If you're the kind of person who wants to play Best Fiends, why haven't you downloaded it yet? (laughs) It's a great mystery. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a kitten of the week this week. Really? Yay. It's an Exeter kitten. I'm so excited. My minister, Emily, and their wife, Heidi, lost one of their cats earlier this year. It was so, so very sad when he passed away in his sleep. His brother cat has been sad and lonely waiting for a little friend. And Moxie. The little orange girl cat just arrived from the farm, I think out in like upstate New York. Moxie is very cute. And their big brother, Kitty Windsor, is taking very good. So I went and saw, I was on my walkabout last weekend, do, 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 walking about Exeter. And I saw that the screen was open at the residence of Heidi and Emily. So of course I was like, hello. Um, And, you know, because a lot of people have these things about when you get a kitten, you should keep it in a room. I'm like, just let the kitten roam, man. And that is what they chose to do. And the kitten and the big cat are having a lovely time together. And it's adorable. And, you know, I do love a little orange kitty cat. You sure do. And the other thing that I want to say is I recommend that everybody follow Rev E.C. Heath. That's your Reverend Emily's Twitter. Yes. Brilliant Twitter account. I don't know if you remember when lesbian dance theory was in the news (laughs) (laughs) a few weeks ago, but Rev Emily decided to convene a lesbian dance theory class on Twitter and is continuing the lesbian dance theory trope. Uh, mm-hmm. Along with a like, I th- believe there's also like a Subaru driving course or something that's also like a spinoff of that. There's a lot of like fun uh, tropes that have sort of spun off of her lesbian dance theory 101. I learned that class. lesbian dance school. Correct. And so I, I cannot recommend following uh, Rev Emily on Twitter enough. All right, Lar Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and suggest that their kittens that are named after soda that taste disgusting uh, be cat of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks would like to recommend podcasts to you that you can, in fact, weigh in on with a thumbs up or thumbs down, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, can you be found? I can at twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can also go to our regular old Facebook page. Just hit join the group. We will let you in unless your Facebook account is like two weeks old. Then no fucking way are you getting in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball. Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very, very, very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we practice speaking French with a Belgian accent. You bastard who is lazy. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. So Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Liz Pin and Sequoia. <laughs> I think Liz Pin is a, is a real name. 
Why wouldn't it be? I just as I said it out loud. Liz thumbtack. Like, Liz pin. <laughs> Liz push pin. All right, sorry. It's like rural juror. <laughs> there, there's some woman named Jenna Sequa. <laughs> yeah, always, that's, see, that popped into my head, yeah. and it's like I don't. Yeah. That's not her real. Yeah, this could be no. a real first name. Go for name. it. All right, yeah, try again. Okay, our Patreon patron saints are Liz Pin. <laughs> it sounds funny, right? Uh, sounds yeah. something wrong. Liz, I'm so or, sorry. Could, You're 100% like, going to be our outtake. This week. Lisbon. Liz, yeah, I'm going like to Lisbon. Lisbon. Yes. Are you going to Lisbon? Right. Yes. Who are Lisbon? Patreon patron saints of the week this week, right. Kevin. Our Patreon patron saints are Liz Pin and Sequoia McGinnis. <laughs> Almost made it so close. <laughs> okay. We're all rooting sorry. for you, Kevin. All right. <clears throat> Just say the names. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.